The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Thank you for that song. And I thank you for that amazing testimony as well, Michelle. Um, you know, I think it's very easy to be sort of dismissive of what we see happening in the church and sort of thinking at a very um, human level that we've sort of got the church figured out. And you can look at this room and say, you know, I can understand why everyone is in here. You, know, you probably grew up in the church, and so you were raised in a Christian culture. And so that's why you're here on this Easter morning, uh, is because that's just the way you were brought up. But then you hear a story like Michelle's growing up in communist China uh, when God so powerfully met her there and brought her to Christ and then would use her uh, to lead her whole family to Christ. And the truth is that this whole room is, I believe, filled with miracles like that, of individual testimonies of what God has done in our lives that brings us here this morning on Easter to celebrate his resurrection It's not just a cultural thing. It's not just a religion thing. But it's the reality of God that has broken into our lives and has shown us himself to us in a way that we could never forget and never deny. And that's why we celebrate Easter this morning. Amen? Let me pray for us and then we'll get into the word of God as we continue in this Easter service. God, we're so encouraged this morning by the testimony that we've heard And that song that we've heard that testifies of your greatness, even for the brothers and sisters that we have in this room to fellowship with and to worship with together, each of us witnessing and bearing testimony to one another of your amazing saving grace and your love toward us. So we pray that as we celebrate another Easter celebration this year, that our hearts will be swept up with the reality that 2,000 years ago, your son, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, became for us a foretaste of our own resurrection that you have promised to all of those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you for that and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um. The title of the message is The Anchor of Hope. And that's really what I want to talk about for this Easter service this morning is this idea of hope and how it anchors the soul. On December 17, 1927, a U.S. Navy S-Class submarine uh, was accidentally rammed by a Coast Guard destroyer while it was surfacing on the coast of Cape Cod. And the submarine was damaged badly enough that it sank very quickly to the bottom of the sea. And a rescue operation was initiated almost immediately. And the naval divers determined that there were six surviving crew members, all trapped in the forward torpedo compartment of the submarine at the bottom of the ocean. And they were able to communicate back and forth with the crew because actually the depth of that water wasn't too bad. And they communicated by basically banging on the hull of the submarine in Morse code and were able to talk back and forth with the survivors. 
But almost as immediately as this res- uh, rescue operation got underway, severe weather set in. And it ended up hindering the Navy's effort to rescue these men. And as the oxygen supply in that submarine began to dwindle, the crew members tapped out this desperate message to the divers. And they said this, Is there any hope? Is there any hope? And under the instructions of the captain leading these rescue efforts, the divers tapped back their response, There is hope. Everything possible is being done. Tragically, the bad weather continued, and none of the survivors could be rescued before the oxygen ran out, and the entire crew of that submarine was lost. This is a picture of the submarine being towed into Boston Harbor after it was salvaged a year later. Is there any hope? Of all the messages that these trapped sailors could have sent to these divers, why that message? Why were they asking about hope? Why that question above any others? Well, I think it's because the soul cannot survive without hope. As we gather this morning for this Easter celebration, I want to ask you this question. What are the hopes that you hold in your heart? I think some of you can answer this question without any hesitation because you think about them all the time. But some of you may really struggle to name your hopes. But I would argue that regardless of which camp you're in, all of us live for hope more than we ever realize. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What the Bible is saying is that hope is like the oxygen of the soul. An unfulfilled hope, then, is like poison to the human heart, while a hope fulfilled is life-giving to someone. Think about it this way. Think about the spirit of a child that has just started a new school year. With that same child at the end of the year, counting down the last few days before summer vacation begins. It's like some of you kids are in that mode right now, right? You know that after spring break, you can count down the days before summer vacation hits. I remember those days, how absolutely excited I would get at the thought of three months without school. Or think about a young bride doing all she can to make her marriage work with her new groom. And that same woman, decades later, dealing with those same challenges in her marriage, but now realizing that they're headed to an inevitable divorce. In each one of these situations, one has hope and the other one doesn't. And that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? The dictionary defines hope like this. It is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. In its verbal form, it could be defined like this. Hope is to want something to happen or to be the case. 
In other words, in our common usage of this word hope, hope is something that we are wishing for or desiring to happen in our lives. But from the Bible's perspective, hope is such a stronger concept than that. It is so much more than just a wish or a desire or even a preference for something to happen or to come true. The biblical definition of hope looks something like this. It is the confident expectation for good things in our future rooted in God's character and promises. Let me see if I could sort of contrast it like this. In the common usage of the word hope, like when we say, I hope it doesn't rain today, there is always a sense of uncertainty, right? That's the whole essence of hope is the uncertainty of it. But whenever the Bible refers to hope, it is the exact opposite. The focus is always on the certainty of the thing that is hoped for. Why? Because it is grounded in the very character and promises of God. John Eldridge puts it like this, By hope, I don't mean wishful thinking. I'm not talking about, quote, holding a positive thought, as one friend calls it. When I speak of hope, I mean the confident anticipation that goodness is coming. A rock-solid expectation. Something we can build our lives on. Not the delicate and fragile hopes most people are trying to get by with. Let me just give you a few examples of this in Scripture. In Psalm 130, verse 7, it says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. The connection is very clear. Put your hope in God, because His love will never fail you. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. In other words, we can always hope in our future because God's plans for us are always for our good and not to harm us. 1 Timothy 4.10 says that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. In other words, Paul is encouraging his fellow believers keep fighting the good fight. Keep doing right and what God wants even in the face of loss and suffering because why? Because the God who promises himself to you is faithful and he says that nothing you do in my name is in vain. And then we get this passage which gives us the title of today's message, Hebrews. Uh, well, actually, yeah, one more and then we'll take a look at that one. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, in the midst of all of life's uncertainties and challenges and pain, our hope is the anchor of our soul. It keeps us steadfast and grounded for the purposes of God in our life. The message is this, is when it comes to God, all of the variables of uncertainty are removed in the typical way we think of hope. And it is replaced with the certainty of that hope, of what we expect for our future. But here is the question that I guess some of you must be asking inside. 
What exactly are we certain about when we put our hope in God? In other words, where does the certainty lie? Is it the certainty that God is going to give us whatever we ask? Whether it's something big like cancer being healed or something almost trivial like the better parking space in the mall, right? Well, this is what the Bible says. God does invite us to pray for all of our needs, our most immediate needs, from the smallest to the greatest. God's invitation to us is pray and let me know what the needs are of your life. And in those prayers, God says miracles will happen. People are healed. Lives are changed when we pray. I think Michelle's testimony this morning was a great testament to that truth that God does still answer prayer and do miracles. Man, that story of her just writing out Bible verses and leaving them on the kitchen table at breakfast time, and in four months' time, her parents coming to salvation through that, that is amazing to me. I don't think I could even get my kids to clean up their room with that technique, you know? So every day, clean up your room, clean up your room. I think I'd still be writing those notes 20 years later. But for someone to actually give their entire life over to God based on notes like that, what an awesome testimony. And all of this is true because, as Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come into the kingdom of this world. But here's the point. The fullness of that kingdom is not here yet. And that's why every victory that we experience in this life is partial at best. The truth is, not every cancer is cured. Not every crisis we face in our life is solved by a miracle. As a doctor, I personally have witnessed what I believe sincerely to be miraculous healings that I cannot explain through my medical knowledge. It defies science, some of the things that I have personally witnessed in the hospital floors. But the truth is this also, I have stood at the bedside of many patients who didn't make it and watched them breathe their last breath. If you think even about every person that Jesus healed during his earthly ministry, they too eventually died of something else. And that's because God's kingdom has come, but it hasn't come in fullness yet. That is yet to happen in our future. Henry Nouwen says this, our life is a short time in expectation, a time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. There is a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our lives. It seems that there is no such thing as a clear-cut pure joy but that even in the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. In every satisfaction, there is an awareness of limitations. In every success, there is the fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there is loneliness. In every friendship, distance. And in all forms of light, there is the knowledge of surrounding darkness. But what the Bible tells us is this. This, These glimpses of God's power 
that we experience in this present life are all signs that are pointing to a much greater future hope that we have in God when he will one day restore this creation and make it whole again. And that great work of restoration and redemption will happen at the time in which the Bible calls the resurrection. When all of us who are in Jesus will be given new bodies with which to enter eternity. And that is the root of the Christian hope. Titus 2, verse 11 to 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The way we live our lives presently, in other words, is for a hope in a future when Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, Paul argues that if this whole Christianity religion amounts to nothing more than what we gain in this life, then we are in a laughable, contemptuous state. If the entire focus of our hope is what God can do for us in this life, then we are more pathetic than any other people on earth. In other words, he is saying the core hope of the Christian is in our resurrection and the restoration of all creation that God promised to do one day. Romans 8, verse 22 to 25 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That is the Christian hope. That one day a resurrection is coming when those who are in Christ will rise from the dead and be joined with God for an eternity to be spent with him. Let me see if I can sort of unpack it like this. In life, there are what we could call casual hopes. These are hopes like, I hope we have good weather for the picnic tomorrow. I hope, we can make it to the, I hope you can make it to my party next month. And the truth is, these hopes are sort of hit or miss. And we learn to deal with the disappointment of these casual hopes on a regular basis. Life goes on. And the truth is, we find this type of casual hope even in the Bible. Romans 15, 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 2 John verse 12 says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Now, these are casual hopes, and the truth is these have built within them a certain degree of uncertainty. Both Paul and John are not sure that these hopes are going to actually come to fruition. Even for the Christian, 
there is the understanding that there is no guarantee for these kind of hopes, that they're going to be realized. But then there are the deeper hopes of life. I hope I get into my dream school. I hope I find a job soon. I hope the CAT scan is negative. These are the kind of hopes that have the power to break your heart if they don't come true. And even for these deeper hopes, there are no guarantees. Just because we hope for a good outcome, that we're always going to get what we hope for, what we want. But then we have what we could call the ultimate hopes in life. These are the hopes to which we give our entire lives. They are, in fact, the reason why we live. These hopes give life meaning. And they are also the hopes that have the power to devastate us and crush our souls if they don't come true. If these ultimate hopes fail, you may never recover from that disappointment. And I want to ask you this morning, what are the ultimate hopes that you hide within your heart? What are your ultimate hopes for your life? That if this does not come true, I don't know if this life was worth living. And what I want to say to you is this. Our ultimate hopes for our life should be reserved only for God and his promises. Because the Bible tells us that nothing else is worthy of claiming that important a place in our lives. God alone is the one who is worthy of these ultimate hopes because he alone is the one that will never disappoint us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, when John is talking about the world, he's not talking about loving the peop- not loving the people in this world. He's talking about the world as basically a system of counterfeit desires that imitate the things of God and yet have their root in evil. And he says that there are so many counterfeit loves that will try to woo your hearts and draw you to them. But at the end of the day, his point here is that they will always leave you empty-handed because they don't last. It's like mist trying to grab it in your hand. They're not real things because they're not eternal things. And it's not just evil things, the temptations of sin that can pull us in that way. It is even the good things of this life that can harm us when we try to make them the ultimate things of our life. 
I'm talking about things that matter to all of us, like family and career and wealth and health and beauty. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love our families or try hard in our careers or to care about our bodies. These are good things, but the danger is this. When we make these ultimate things, ultimate hopes, what the Bible tells us is they will always eventually break your heart. It is not a solid enough foundation on which to build your life. And the truth is this. I think much of the counseling I do as a pastor starts at the point when someone has put their ultimate hope in something other than God and is now trying to recover from the devastation of that decision as they struggle with the disappointment. Again, John Eldridge says it like this. When God calls us to love him as our first love, it is not only because he deserves to hold that place in our hearts, but also because he knows what pain will come when we get that out of order. If you give the part of your soul that is meant for God to lesser things, they will break your heart because they cannot possibly come through for you in the ways God can. Only He will never leave you or forsake you. The command is a rescue from disaster. Many of you have begun to discover the joy and freedom loving God brings to the rest of your life. Keeping God as our first love, we are not destroyed when others fail to love us well. We are able to weather criticism, loneliness, and rejection. Here is my point. The renewal of all things is meant to be your first hope in the way that God is your first love. If it isn't the answer to your wildest dreams, if you aren't already at this very moment uh, to sell every, ready at this very moment to sell everything and buy this field, then you have placed your hopes somewhere else. Nearly everyone has. In fact, you can summarize the entire journey of life on this earth as a journey of learning how to put God as the ultimate hope of your life. Second to all other loves that compete for it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says that, put, that the hope of the Christian is the hope of the resurrection because it is in that hope that nothing in this world can ever touch. It is being kept securely for you in your future. That is why Easter is the most important day to the Christian. Of all the days of the year, Easter is the most important. Why? Because on it, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus that gives us a foreshadowing of our own resurrection. Christianity is not about ultimately a life philosophy or moralism or religion. It is a promise of a future when we who are in Christ 
will rise from the dead and be given new resurrection bodies with which we will reign with him for eternity. Let me close with this. David Meese is a Christian contemporary music artist who is pretty famous in the 80s and 90s. In fact, he was uh, one of my favorite Christian artists that I used to listen to all the time. And he grew up in this abusive family, a very abusive, alcoholic, drug-addicted father who on multiple times attempted to kill his mother. And sometimes during these um, alcoholic rages that he would get into, uh, his mom would gather him and his siblings into the car and drive off into the forest, into the woods of Texas. And they would spend the night there in the woods in the car because they were too afraid to go home because of what the father might do. And this was the kind of abuse that David Meese grew up in. And one of the final times that Meese ever saw his father was when his father, scary enough, actually put a gun to his head and said, you are worthless. You're worthless. And what David Meese would say as an adult is that despite all of the trauma and abuse that he suffered at the hands of his father, those words, you're worthless, he said, left the deepest scar in his heart. And in fact, that day would be one of the last days that Meese saw his father alive. When he attended his father's funeral, Meese said he felt nothing. He didn't shed a single tear for his dad. All he had for his father was hatred. But then Meese became saved when he got to college. And two years after his father passed away, God touched him in an incredibly powerful way, enabling him for the first time to shed tears of compassion and pity for his father and to finally forgive his father for everything that he had done against him. But as powerful as that moment was, the truth is, it couldn't undo all of the pain and trauma that he suffered as a kid, could it? It doesn't immediately wipe all of that away. Years later, Mies would write a song called My Father's Chair, which revolves around the symbolism of three chairs. Actually, when I first heard the song, I, I cried, and I literally listened to the song exclusively, I think, for an entire week because I was so moved by it. The first chair is the empty chair of his earthly father who was never there for him. And in the second verse, he talks about a second chair, which is his own chair, which represents all of his hopes of breaking the cycle of violence that characterized his family and his deep desire to protect his own children. But then in the third verse, he writes about a third chair. And this third chair is the throne of God. It re represents the comfort of God's presence that we can only experience by faith in this life. But one day, 
we will see with our own eyes in this new heaven and new earth that is to come. And I want to play that song for you right now along with showing you the lyrics and then we're just going to close here. Yeah.
We don't have all the details of what this new creation God is preparing for us is going to look like. But Jesus reassured his disciples, don't worry about that. What I'm preparing for you is going to so far exceed your greatest hopes. In Matthew 19, verse 28 to 29, Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Let's pray.